Welcome to the IC Interviews. I'm Mary McDougall and I'm delighted to be joined by Dale Nichols, Manager of Fidelity China Special Situations Investment Trust. Dale joined Fidelity in 1996 and has been the trust's lead manager since 2014. The trust has over £3 billion in assets, making it much the largest China-specific investment trust. In this interview, we discuss the enormous opportunity for investors in China and a number of the concerns that come with it. Hi, Dale. Thank you very much for joining me. Hi, Mary. Great to be here. Um, your funds had a terrific run recently. The share price has doubled in the last 12 months, which is twice as good as the MSCI China index. Your investment style is to look for undervalued companies that can deliver over the long term. How do you feel about current valuation levels? Yeah, it's, uh, it's clearly not as uh, exciting and compelling as it was, you know, six to 12 months ago, but there's, there's, there's definitely still opportunity. Um, you know, the overall valuations for the market have, have moved up, but, you know, are clearly pretty attractive still, I think, relative to a lot of the Western markets, particularly the US, you know, given, given the, the, the uh, you know, the growth potential, the underlying growth potential uh, of the market. Um, but that sort of hides a lot what's happening at the company level as well. There's, there's, there's great divergence between, between different companies, different sectors. Um, and so there's actually still, you know, actually quite a bit of value on the ground. There's, you, there's definitely still able to find you know, sort of single digit multiple companies out there um, if, you, if you look hard enough. Yeah, what, what parts of the Chinese market um, and your fund more specifically do you expect to see the best growth in um, over the next year and, and beyond that? Yeah, if we're talking about growth, I think you, you, you really need to be focused on, you know, the so-called new China areas. Um, so, you know, a real core to that is, is consumption. So I'm still, you know, very much a bull on the potential for you know, the growth in consumption over, over the midterm. I think it's really core to the, the China story. Um, it's great that, you know, it's, it's, it's in many ways part of government policy trying to, you know, bring about a shift in the structure of the economy away from reliance on net exports um, and investment towards, towards consumption. But the bigger driver is really just the natural development of the middle class. Um, so just rising penetration across a range of categories and increasingly just premium, premiumization across, across categories as well. That's one of, you know, definitely one of the big drivers. Um, and outside of, you know, outside of consumption, obviously, you know, there's, you know, the tech sector in general, and obviously that overlaps with consumption, but, you know, there's just a huge amount of entrepreneurial uh, innovation um, that's, that's going on in the tech sector. And that continues huge investment. You know, a lot of these trends we're seeing happening globally, particularly with 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 COVID. But you know, you know traditionally it's just happened faster um, in China. So really focus on the companies that can benefit from that. And the third area I'd say is probably healthcare. You know, there's a lot of investment um, and also sort of entrepreneurial activity that's happening in that space as well. A real focus on the development of of more novel, um, innovative drugs as opposed to generics. So they're sort of the core areas. If we just focus on growth, I think there are some pretty big drivers of growth that you can you can rely on, you know, for the coming decades, really. Yeah, that's interesting. There are lots of things to pick up on there. You mentioned one of the sort of one of the key reasons to invest in China being the scale of the opportunity with the rising middle classes. Right. China also has a shrinking aging population, um, partly because of the one-child policy, which was only fully abolished about five years ago. How do you see these two dynamics playing through? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, obviously not a challenge only for China um, in, terms of, in terms of that demographic challenge. It's, it's yeah. a challenge for, you know, parts of Asia and, and a lot of Europe um, as, as, as well. Um, 
it's not all negative in many ways. I mean, you know, you, you in many ways you're going to have uh, sort of a limit on the growth of, of the workforce. Um, and sort of that sort of from a supply demand aspect, that's actually going to, you know, support sort of higher wages um, over time. Um, but still, I mean, you know, again, aging population is, is again, something that's, that's, you know, common to, 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 to many countries. And, you know, as investors, you know, I think when we look across across markets, we're looking at, you know, the, the how to invest in that as well. Um, you know, it's sort of, again, a common theme across a lot of countries. And looking at the, the makeup of your fund, it's interesting that you appear to have a small to mid cap bias, um, but also yeah. Tencent and Alibaba are your two biggest holdings. Uh, sure. Just wondering why this is. Is it because you think they have the best growth opportunity um, or perhaps you don't want to veer too far from the benchmark? Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're, they're, they're both great companies and they're going to continue to grow and occupy a bigger part of the, you know, the Chinese economy over time. Um, and they're conglomerates. And when you, you know, when you really think about the individual assets, the individual businesses, um, you know, they're still, I think, definitely undervalued. Um, and so, you know, I think they should be, you know, core parts um, of, of the portfolio. Um, you know, the big parts of the benchmark, I'm actually underweight those two, those two companies. But um, again, I think you know, there's a potential for them to outperform. Still, I, I will look to offset that with, with bets I'll make outside of, those, outside of those companies. So, as I said, they're undervalued, but I think there's more, you know, more potential undervalued companies in, 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 in other parts of the market. And particularly the, the small to mid-cap area um, is, is, is definitely an area of focus. It's been, it's been a laggard relative to large caps. Um, and so that valuation gap is, is pretty wide relative to history. But, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, you know, for me, you know, I, I really try to leverage the team that we have, um, you know, on the ground um, and, you know, try to find companies early. I, I, I generally find, you know, the smaller companies are, are less well understood. There's less information and therefore they're more mispriced. And, you know, I'm in the business of owning mispriced assets. So, again, really try to leverage our team to, to, to find these companies earlier and, and, you know, hopefully they can graduate into the mid and large cap, you know, area over time. Yes, that makes sense. Um, just one more question on these big tech companies. Um, yeah. How are antitrust proceedings developing in China? Beijing launched an investigation into Alibaba in December. Um, to what extent do you expect to see a tightening of state control on big big business? Yeah, we don't have the you know we don't have the you know the final rulings on how this is actually you know the the, well, the final rules really on, uh, on on how things are going to going to play out. I think you know, there definitely will be more focus on this. And it's not a surprise, I think, you know, just given the size of these companies, again, this is something we're seeing globally, really. You know, they're just, they're bigger parts of the economy, um, you know, they're big companies. Um, and it's natural that the government wants to make sure that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a level playing field. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's definitely something to watch. It's a risk, you know, and when I'm looking at these companies. Um, but again, I think, I think there's there's a definite recognition that these are some of you know these are big growth drivers for the for the economy. They're big you know they're big employers. They're big investors, uh, and they're big drivers of innovation as well, which is obviously a key focus for the government as well. So I think that is recognised. So I think there is a willingness to to let them continue to grow and and you know support the overall economy and and the development of of innovation in the country overall. 
That's interesting. There's a lot of talk about innovation happening faster in China than in the US um, at the moment. Could you talk about one or two of your holdings, um, your other holdings that you think are really cutting edge and explain what they're doing? So one of the, the, the companies that I own in the healthcare is a company called um, Wuxi Aptec. Um, and, you know, I mentioned earlier just the, the level of, of, of activity that we're seeing in, in, in the pharmaceutical and biotech space um, in, in China, particularly, you know, the more innovative, the more no, the novel drugs, particularly, uh, again, in, in the biotech area. Um, so they need, you know, quite a bit of support, you know, in bringing drugs to market. Um, and, and Wuxi Aptec is, is definitely helping them on that front. So they're in, you know, the CRO space, contract research. They're also in CDMO, contract development and manufacturing. Um, so in many ways, they're really helping, you know, these, these, these drug companies along the whole process of bringing drugs to market. Very, you know, from, from some basic levels of research to, you know, the final levels of supporting their, their, uh, their clinical trials. Um, and, you know, they've, they've definitely grown over time. They're recognized really as a global player in this area. So, you know, obviously they're, they're very focused on the domestic market, but they're, they're serving pharmaceutical companies globally. And they've just, you know, really invested across a range of technologies to support the overall development of, of, of you know, of, of drugs um, in China and, and even outside of China. So I think that's probably a pretty, a pretty good example of, of, you know, one of the more innovative companies in the, in the portfolio. And that's one of my top holdings. Yeah, nice. Thank you. And how do you feel about the the car market in China? The electrification of vehicles is a big theme, and you've got some holdings right. in the auto industry. I do. I do. Um, it's you know, there's there's you know, obviously we're talking about the biggest EV market as it is in in China globally, but you know, there's there's a big a big push for electrification, um, and so there's a lot of investment uh, that's going into that area. I should say for the, you know, the auto market overall itself still has growth potential. Um, you know, we're talking about the biggest auto market in the world, but from a penetration perspective, it's still well behind the sort of levels that you see in the West. So there's, you know, there's definitely sort of good underlying growth potential there just from a penetration perspective. Um, but, you know, in, in EV development, it's, you know, there's again, a huge amount of, of, of um, you know, development that's going on in that area. Um, it's a little bit harder to invest in. Um, you know, to, to be honest, I find, um, you know, some of the EV companies uh, a little bit rich now in terms of valuation. So uh, it's not an area that, that I'm, I'm that focused on, um, you know, from, you know, from the auto companies themselves. I do own companies that supply components to them. So I have, I have holdings in the portfolio that are really very much focused on just the electrification of, of the vehicle itself. Uh, and particularly for EVs, and they're obviously benefiting from a lot of that investment. Um, it's a very competitive space, and you know it's it's early days. And like a lot of industries in China in the early days, you have a lot of of really serious competition and a lot of players. Um, and I'm imagining that five to ten years down the road, there'll be a lot less. But you know there'll be some emerging um, strong companies yeah. coming coming out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on the theme of you thinking that they're quite highly rated, some of the electrification companies, I just wanted to ask some questions about the, the Chinese stock market. So the broad index is up 45%, but the new economy stocks are up a lot more. To what extent has this growth been driven by retail investors? Um, perhaps you could give an overview of 
market ownership split between private institutional and foreign investors um, and what impact this has had on the stock market? Yeah, I, I, I don't have the, the latest numbers in terms of ownership, but we can definitely get you those. What I do know is that, you know, institutional ownership of the market and foreign ownership of the market is definitely rising. Um, so I think for foreign ownership, Catherine, Catherine might be able to jump in here, but, you know, I think it's probably, I mean, definitely single digit, uh, moving from sort of low single digit, you know, over, you know, over, over the past few years. Um, so foreign ownership's rising, definitely institutional ownership of the, of the market is rising. So, um, I, you know, I, I'd say in terms of performance of the market, there's no question that the retail investor, you know, the retail investor is still the biggest part of, of the, of the A share market in terms of investing, but that share is, is, is gradually falling, um, as you know, you get the growth in institutional, um, investors and, and foreign investors, um, and this is natural. Um, you know, there's, there's, you've got growth of the insurance companies, you've got, you know, other asset managers that are growing. Um, so, you know, it's, it's sort of, it, it's, it, I expect it to become a more, yeah, a, a more sort of developed type market over, over time. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's natural. And, you know, a lot of the broken companies, particularly the ones that are focused on, on, um, on the institutional investor are clearly going to benefit from that. I think it's a pretty important theme in, in just sort of development of the markets overall. Yeah, I guess I asked because um, there are articles about bubbles forming in China, um, just like there are in the US and um, private investor activity might be more speculative. Do you worry about, um, about there being a, a bubble in parts of the Chinese market? And and are these are these investors? What are they looking at when they invest? Are they momentum traders, or are they looking at sources of value? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's definitely froth in 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 parts of the market. Um, there's no question. I mean, you know, is it is it worse you know than than what we're seeing in some parts of you know the other Western markets? I'm not sure, but I think there's you know there's definitely froth there. I I think the government is is better prepared. Um, and probably regulation is better than the previous sort of, you know, you know big market run-ups that we've seen in the past, for example, around 2015. I think, you know, they've, they've, there's, there's better control over things like margin lending. It's a broader market, as I said, you've, there's, you've got more institutional and, and foreign ownership of the market. Um, so, you know, I think, I think there's, I think regulation-wise, I think in general, um, you know, probably the regulators are more prepared than they were, uh, you know, back, back in those days. Um, but there are, you know, there, you know, there are pockets of froth in the market, as, as, as we said earlier. And, and that's where, it, you know, it really comes down to, I, I mean, I think stock picking is all, is always important, but I think, you know, definitely looking forward, uh, from here, it's going to be, it's going to be more important to be really focused on not just identifying, you know, the right companies, but paying the right price for them. Um, so, you know, that's why, you know, we're sort of, you know, definitely looking, looking for, you know, the, the best opportunities on the back of this. Yes, that certainly makes sense. It's a reassuring approach. Um, another concern about China is the rapid expansion of credit in the corporate sector. Um, and some people worry it, it could blow up. Is this something that concerns you? Um, yeah, I think so. In terms of, you talk about just general corporate, corporate credit in the, in the, in the economy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that is, I think, something that definitely needs to be watched. Um, 
you know, the, the, if you look at sort of the growth in credit to, to GDP, it's grown, um, you know, pretty significantly, you know, really over, over the last decade or so, um, you know, post, particularly post GFC. Um, I'm, you know, I, I, and I, the, on the positive side, I think this is sort of well recognized. Um, so, you know, as the, it's, it, you see it sort of, you know, obviously we've seen a big pickup in credit growth on the back of COVID because, you know, that's what you sort of needed to bring, you know, the economy back. So we've seen a definitely pickup in credit growth, but as soon as sort of things have, have normalized and they have largely normalized in China, um, you know, you see the focus on, you know, you see this comment, you know, the, the comments coming out of, out of the, out of the PBOC regulators to really sort of want to rein in credit growth. Um, so I think that's definitely sort of in the minds of, um, again, of the regulators. It's, it's, I think, controlling the growth in credit, I think is a, is a pretty, is a pretty big priority. Obviously growth is a priority as well, but I think, you know, um, over time that priority of, of the financial risk of, of, on the back of, of unbridled credit growth is definitely more of a, more of a focus. Um, so that needs to be watched. I, I mean, I find, I mean, there's lot, been lots of predictions about, you know, the potential financial crisis in China for years on the back of this. But what I think is often missed is just the level of liquidity in the system. Um, so you've obviously credit has grown pretty significantly, but there's a pre, you know, there's, there's pretty significant liquidity in the form of deposits in the system as well. Um, so it's not like it's a, it's a completely wholesale funded banking system, which, you know, is when you look at financial crises of, of, you know, over the years, what, you know, it tends to be a sort of a defining factor. That's not really not what you see um, in China, but, you know, the, the growth in credit over time is something that, that needs to be reined in and we, we continue to watch how, you know, that, that is brought under control over time. And um, back to your investment process, how easy is it to do due diligence on Chinese companies? Are you happy with the reporting qualities of companies in China? I, I, it was quite interesting in your annual report, you mentioned that Chinese wealth management firm Noah Holdings had fraud related losses. It's just wondering um, what happened here, how often things like this happen and, and generally. How yeah, do you I, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, we're, you know, extremely focused on, on, on the governance of, of the companies that, you know, that we invest in. Um, you know, ES, ESG overall is obviously, you know, an integral part of our process, but you know, the governance aspect is, is something, you know, we, we, we focus on a lot. Um, you know, it's, you know, China is obviously, you know, an emerging market, and I think it's probably more of a challenge in most emerging markets. Uh, but it's, I, you know, I think the trend is definitely, definitely improving. Um, you know, the disclosures over time are improving. Um, you know, you're seeing that and sort of come through in, in, in ESG reporting, you know, from, from more and more companies. Um, but yeah, I think, I think general, you know, it's, it, it improves, you know, things have definitely improved over time. Um, you know, we try to really build close relationships with, you know, the management teams that we invest in. That's a core part of our process to be sort of, you know, meeting with with managements on, you know, on, on a regular basis and, and, and tracking how, you know, they deliver on, you know, what, what their targets are, deliver on their strategy. Uh, and that's how I think you build trust and build conviction um, in, in yeah. companies that are just really constantly um, engaging with them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so you mentioned ESG, um, environmental, social and governance standards. Mm -hmm. How do you measure the social side? Um, 
China doesn't have a great human rights track record, but you're investing in companies, not the state. So what's the corporate right. culture like in the types of companies you're investing in? Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of depends on, you know, the business that, 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 that the companies are in, um, you know, in terms of how, you know, how prominent or important that is. Um, an example of engagement for us on the social side would be working with, um, you know, the textile companies, and this is an environmental, a key environmental factor as well, just sort of understanding their complete supply chain, um, you know, the environmental, you know, rules that they're observing, uh, the processes that they have in place, uh, but on the social side as well, you know, how they're ensuring, you know, workers are properly paid um, and, you know, they're getting all the benefits that they're, they're, they're deserved. Um, it's sort of been a, a core part of our process looking at, at the social side there. Yeah, I'm sure that's um, it's an area that your investors would like you to be, to be considerate in. The textile industry doesn't get great press. Um, right. Looking at geopolitics, it's clear that tensions between the US and China are here to stay. Janet Yellen, the US Treasury Sec Secretary, talked quite recently, um, quite directly about China stealing intellectual property and engaging in practices that give it an unfair technological advantage. Where do you see Sino-US relations going and what might it mean for the types of companies that you invest in? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, this relationship, you know, the friction between, you know, these powers is really going to be with us for decades. Um, you know, and, and you know, I, I wouldn't expect any great change in, in policy, you know, under the new administration. Um, you know, on the positive side, I think this is sort of more understood and expected in markets. Um, but, you know, this is this this tension is going to be is really going to be going to be you know, with us for, for, for quite some time. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of the, you know, the whole technology side, um, I do think, you know, you need to be as an investor wary of companies that are obviously, you know, heavily reliant on, you know, US technology companies, you know, in their supply chains. So obviously, you know, what's happened with Huawei is, 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 has had a major impact, you know, on them. I think for SMIC, it will have, you know, pretty significant impact as well. So, you know, if you're investing in the tech sector, you really need to be uh, aware of, you know, what, you know the, what, the, the sort of reliance um, that, you know, that companies in that space will have, um, you know, on US companies. Um, and, yeah. you know, so much of, you know, manufacturing equipment in the semiconductor space does, you know, you know, does come out of the US. So it's, it's sort of something that, you know, if, particularly if you're at the, if, you, if you're trying to produce at the leading edge, it's going to be something that's, that's you know, that, that's important. Um, you know, for, for me and in, in my approach to how I'm investing, you know, we talked about the sectors that I'm investing in, the companies that I'm investing in. Again, for me, it's much more about, you know, just, you know, domestic consumption, things like healthcare, um, and then, you know, in the technology space, it's much more about those domestic businesses, um, you know, the internet businesses, software, et cetera. Um, so, you know, the reliance on, on US technology really isn't that significant. So I don't see it being you know, a huge factor for, you know, the companies that I have in the portfolio and the areas that, that, that I'm really focused on. Yeah. Well, we've talked a bit about smaller companies, 5% of the trusts in unlisted companies. Um, can you tell us how you source these companies and how important you think they are to the fund's success? Sure. Um, well, you know, I, I'll start off by saying I think, you know, having the ability to invest in, in private companies is really important. Um, you know, 
for a number of reasons. I mean, we, we're trying to offer investors, you know, the best, you know, the, you know, as broad exposure as possible to, you know, the, the development of the Chinese economy and, you know, the unlisted, the private companies play a big part here. I also say in general, you know, companies are coming to market later. So, you know, being able to access that, um, you know, is, 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 is really important. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's, 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 it's a bigger focus for us. Um, you know, the process why we look at, at companies is, you know, is very much the same. Um, you know, it's the same lens that we sort of, you know, we, we you know, really focus on um, in the companies that we invest in. Uh, we leverage the same analyst team. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of opportunity um, in, in, in that space. Um, and there's, you know, there's, there's some pretty exciting companies. Um, you know, you probably see some of the top holdings, but <clears throat> a company like Pony Eye, we think, is you know the leader in autonomous driving. We're, you know, here we are able to invest in the the genesis of a whole new sector, really at the starting point. Um, you know, from the leading company in 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 that space, and uh, you know, we think they have the leading technology. Um, and yeah. you know, having tested the product, I think it's pretty impressive. How how big's your team? Do you have lots of people on the ground in Shanghai or? Yeah, how big's the team? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we have, we have, um, you know, the team is is spread across mostly Hong Kong and Shanghai, and so you know, we in terms of growth, we're probably you know we're growing more more in you know on the Shanghai side, but you know, as a firm, we're very much committed to continue to grow the team. So I'm, you know, leveraging a team of over twenty analysts focused on China. Some of them have regional. You know, re, you know, regional responsibility. So they're looking across sectors where it makes sense to really look across the whole of Asia. But you know, there's a there's a significant portion of analysts that are just you know focused purely on China. So these are the guys that I rely on on a daily basis. They're out there talking to companies, one looking for new ideas, you know, but secondly, you know, tr you know, making sure that the companies that we already own are are on track and you know the investment thesis is really playing out. A slightly more mechanical question. Um, it looks like the gearing's quite high. I had to look at Winterflood's data sheet this morning and it right. said that it was 29%. Do you, do you see this coming down over time? I think if it's, I, that, that sounds high to me and then that's probably on a gross level. So I think what's, you know, what's probably more important is looking at things on a net level. So, um, you know, after, you know, the shorts um, and sort of, you know, the hedges that we have in the portfolio. So uh, right now it's more around the 20% level. But, you know, this reflects the opportunities in the market. Um, so, as I sort of mentioned at the outset, you know, markets are up, you know, pretty significantly. So there's, I think, overall, you know, probably, probably less opportunity. Uh, and that's why, the, you know, the, this gearing has come down, you know, a, a little bit since, you know, since, again, six to 12 months ago. Yeah. But as I mentioned earlier, there's still a lot of opportunity. There's big parts of the market that I think have, have been neglected. As I said, there's, you know, there's, there's companies that, you know, we're finding in sort of single digit multiples with pretty strong growth prospects. Um, and so, you know, it makes sense that, you know, we're, we're, you know, really out there trying to capitalize on those opportunities. So the, the fund's grown enormously over the last year. At what point might the fund's size become a problem? Because um, if, you're, if you're looking at these smaller companies, you've already got a big portfolio of holdings. Um, how, how big can you go? Sure. Well, I mean, it's a it's a huge market. Um, I, I I really don't see you know see sort of really any constraints on the horizon. Really, um, there's there's you know there's really significant opportunity and and obviously 
you know, it's a, it's a closed end structure. Again, that's what's, what's great about the structure of the trust that, you know, we, we, ha we don't have to be as concerned about liquidity. We can take time to build positions in smaller companies uh, and, and again, be less concerned about, about outflows. So, um, you know, I, 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 I don't have a problem building positions in, you know, taking my time building my positions in, in smaller companies when the long-term potential is, is there. Okay, so you don't run into liquidity problems become too big or in these smaller companies. Yeah, okay. Not significant. As I said, you know, there's, there's, I mean, we're talking about huge markets. There's still lots of room to grow. Yeah. And one final question. In your virtual AGM video, you said you spent a lot of time analysing how the world will be different as we emerge from the pandemic. Um, what have been your key findings? You know, I, I, and I think the, the, the biggest thing is, is, is really just about a lot of the changes that when you were underway accelerating, you know, I think, you know, the, the shift online, again, something that, you know, China is already, you know, moving faster. You've got, on, you've got online penetration, e-commerce penetration in China, which is already well above the West, but continues to grow strongly. You know, we just saw Alibaba's most recent numbers, but, you know, the, you know, the growth, the growth continues. Uh, so it's sort of, you know, an acceleration on that front. I think, you know, I think just generally the shift to the cloud, um, is, 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 is something that's, that's, you know, it's, is, is definitely accelerating as well, I think. Um, and we talk mostly about the consumer, but, you know, for the enterprise as well, um, you know, that continues to, to, to march along. So there's a lot of opportunity for, for, I think, software companies to, to, to benefit from that. You know, other aspects, I, honestly, I think the jury's out on, on things like, you know, what will, you know, happen in terms of travel, what will happen in terms of, you know, office commuting and, and, and that sort of thing. What I can say is that in, in, in at least what we're seeing in China, and as you know, China is very much back to normal. You know, we've seen yeah. some flare up in cases, but, you know, they're obviously acting quickly to keep things under control. And, you know, you know particularly in the South, you know, I, I, I get the sense that things are just very much, very much back to normal. So, um, you know, we'll see, you know, how things like travel change. But at this stage, you know, I think, I think, you know, it looks like we're sort of reverting to, I don't think, I don't think we'll, you know, I think, I think there'll be less commuting, but at least the trends on what we see on the ground, people are, have, have reverted back to their, you know, to the, pretty significantly to their, to their previous lifestyles. Yeah. Sorry, just one more. How's the vaccination program going in China? Well, I haven't seen the latest, I haven't seen the, you know, the, the, the latest data. I don't think it's been, it's definitely starting to be rolled out, you know, you know, starting with, you know, the, the frontline workers. Um, and I think the military um, and sort of other parts of government, I don't think it's gone sort of fully mainstream yet, but I don't think it'll be long. Yeah, it's a massive job. Um, Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dale. It was really interesting. It definitely sounds like China's an important market for all investors. Um, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Mary.